Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Welcome to the Triple Option. Here's your host, Paul Catalina. Alongside Garrett Ross, who again, whenever we're standing across this table, I regret the decision to do this show standing up. Well, I hate that for you. You really don't. You know, (laughs) here's the thing that tall people don't understand. Okay. okay. You'll never, like, what's your struggle? You have to duck sometimes? Oh, definitely, dude. Like, it's, okay, one of the, the biggest struggles for me is getting a case of water at the grocery store. And if the if it's been about halfway picked through and you got to really duck under and work in there to get it, um, that can feel like you're working at a warehouse getting groceries and it's a bit annoying. Uh, that or hitting your head like on a ceiling fan or something, that okay. will get you. All right, all right. I've I had mean, a few incidents. I look, I think that that is a small price to pay for. There are like dishes that I just don't use. Because I have to get the stool out to get them. Okay, I will counter with there is a cabinet in my house where, like, most of my uh, pans and stuff are at. And if there is something in the back, I'll have to call my daughter or somebody to come in because I cannot get down and see to get in there. It's it's a two-way street here. I have have the same issue with a cabinet in my house because it's got a deep corner Uh, because I have short arms. I can see that. And so I have to take things out and then, like, Literally go in it, yeah, like a gnome. I can't tell you how many times I'll be in the grocery store and you walk down an aisle and you could see it. Like there'll be a lady or something just kind of peering on the top of a shelf, and I'm always having to get grocery or stuff from for people because of that. Like they just can't reach or be in the very back. So it I, comes with the territory. Did, but do you know how many times I've been in the grocery store alone and had to like do the leap up to get something? Like I, that is, and the yeah. thing is, this is what you have to do, and. Short people on the chat, you can probably identify this with me because it could be like middle of the day, like nobody there, uh-huh. like there's nobody around. Like I've been doing like late at night, I've had to like go get something, and then I'll look and like you'll see like nothing, nothing, nothing. Like oh, it's still on the like they take yeah, at it the out, very top. They yeah. take it out of the box in case people need it, but it's still kind of like the box. The other full box of it is behind it, mm-hmm. and so like oh great, Rotel tomatoes up there. All right. Business decision. <laughs> Just go for and it. And then you get it, and you're like, "Woo! yes, all right. And then the minute that you're excited that you jumped up and did something athletic, um, it, like somebody comes around the corner, and they're like, what? It's yeah. not, it's <laughs> not great. It's not great. I would rather have to duck to get the water. Okay. I just I, I've been in situations where I think that it's a two way street that you can have benefits of both, um, but I, I wouldn't change it. I like being tall. There I is, being tall. I'll tell you right now, there is no benefit in life to being five seven, none whatsoever. Like you can fly a jet. I can't even sit in a damn jet or like a tank or something. They wouldn't fit me. I couldn't fit in that. Like what? Why would I want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to fly a jet? 
Like fly, like be a pilot? Yeah, like I can't be a freaking pilot. I'm too tall. They can't fit in a cockpit. At least you could do that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, I guess. I mean, like, that's <laughs> the, like, is that, is that like what the world gave us? Is like, hey, you could be a fighter pilot. Um, maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what was on the agenda. Like, that's, I mean, like there's, there's so, things you could do though. So, I mean, do you think it was a conspiracy by short people? Like, listen, we're not going to make these cockpits very deep. Uh, I mean, aerodynamically it's better. And then like when a guy like Garrett's like, I've always wanted to be a pilot pilot and I too, too tough, tough crap, Jolly Green Giant. See, and that's yeah. the thing. You just, you can't do it. You're oh yeah, I can't be on a submarine. Like who wants to be on a submarine? I would not want to be on, I, yeah. I don't want to be on a ship. I don't want to be on a submarine. None of that. I don't want to be stranded in the ocean. Yeah. So I don't, like, I don't know. Like I, I like if the one benefit is fighter pilot that I could be maverick. Well, that was the only thing that came. I, I'm pretty sure there are some other things. Uh, yeah. That was just the initial thought. Yeah. I don't know. I'll never be a fighter. Yeah, you'll never be, I'll a, never fighter be a fighter pilot. pilot. Damn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the way, before we get started on our main topic, uh, wild night in the Big Twelve once again last night it was uh, in basketball. We're going to talk a little more basketball. Uh, Bracket cat thrilled that um, be. that his cats uh, beat Baylor. Jerome Tang now three and zero against his best buddy Scott Drew. Yeah, which is okay. So for years, I'll tell you this: Scott Drew would not play. Anybody, yeah. He won't play his brother. He's not going to play Paul Mills. He and Matt Driscoll have never played each other. Like, that's never the, – the rule is only in the tournament. Well, now, not only does he have Jerome Tang, but he has Grant McCaslin, oh. who's at Tech, and so he has that thing. So part of it might be like, look, I don't want to play them because I'm at a bit of a disadvantage because I taught these people. They know everything. They know, they know everything that move. I know, yeah. yeah. So, and the thing is, once you teach somebody something and then they leave, they know most of what you do, but you have to keep maybe one step ahead. Yeah. So, but the only person this doesn't really apply to is apparently Nick Saban, who was always, it's for like, Jimbo got him once, Kirby got him twice, like. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, Kirby got him, Sark went in there, Sark got him. Sark got I, I him. Jack Lane never got him. Like, no, Lane never got him, but he came close. Because I. It, it was, I told Jack this morning, it almost felt like the Ninja Turtles with Master Splinter getting all of the, them ready. You know, and they all started surpassing him and the skills and go on. And uh, then Master Splinter hung it up. But that's, no, that's kind of what it reminded me of. But no, it's, uh, yeah, it's difficult when you train somebody or you bring somebody up and, and they know literally your next move. And then I think that the unique thing with, with that is if you have a coach, like to me, I feel like Tang, one advantage he had was he was always the specialist, like on the inbounds and yeah. those. And when you look like last night, well, he had a they great one last exactly. Night, yeah. Like you can see it was coming, man. And I, there's little things like that that you just can't get over because uh, you could train somebody, but they might have an edge in an area where you don't. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's just, that's I, life I like, in the Big 12. Yeah. I don't think things have changed. Like, I think Jerome Tang is a big loss for anybody who would lose him Absolutely as a coach. Is. But I don't think that it's been like one of these things. Like sometimes it's not been like the Philadelphia Eagles losing both their coordinators. Right. And yeah. then, you know, 11 games into the year, the whole league figured them out. Yeah. Like that yeah. was like everybody was, you know, they were able to kind of get by. And then like when they got to the teeth of their schedule, people were like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. These new guys aren't really that good no. or not yet. I mean, like, we'll see. I mean, it got so bad that they Eagles were like, yeah, Matt, Patricia, you right. <laughs> You're in charge now. But, yeah, so I don't think it's like that. But it is one of the things that when you're up against each other, you have that thing. And there's a lot of emotion between those two because they mm -hmm. are so close. Like, and, of course, you can't work for Scott Drew and not like him. You oh, know, like, no. And so yeah. and be really close because he, 
he breathes that atmosphere of family. So, yeah, I, um, yeah, it was a great game. Uh, you know, Kansas, like, Kansas State doesn't have um, – which is why it was kind of surprising, I thought, like, watching the game. Like, you know, Baylor has not shot well. They've, you know, they've not made free throws. But I still feel like they're going to win the game just because Kansas State doesn't seem to have a guy who's going to take over this mm-hmm. thing. But they did it in the aggregate. They just got big shots from different guys, and Baylor squandered some opportunities. I do think that um, that ball that they called out of bounds on Ray J. Dennis at the end of, in the overtime, mm-hmm. I don't like. I don't think that one angle showed anything other than you couldn't see where the ball right. was. I don't. I don't know if he touched it or not. And I get that that's what they initially did because you're like, I don't. No, but there was the second video had no evidence that it hit him. No. And the first one, you're like, eh, I guess it's inconclusive, but I thought that I don't think he touched the ball. But other than that, like one minor situation, yeah. Baylor was still leading when that happened. So, um, you know, I, Kansas State was a great game. I mean, again, like what Baylor made the mistake of doing on the road in the Big 12 is when you have a lead, you ca- you've got to play perfect. Yeah. You can't make stupid mistakes because you're in the octagon of doom there. Like, the one thing you want to do is you want the crowd to be like, oh, mm. this yeah. is dumb. But the minute they're like, oh, my God, that like that place just ignites. No, that and- was the thing. Like, because if you look, every time like Kansas State would get back into the game, Baylor found a way because they were simply the more talented team. They would find a way to separate and they would build a lead. They would build like five or six points. But man, hats off to Kansas State. They never gave up. They kept fighting. They were really, uh, that was a really gutsy win for them at home. Uh, they would always find ways to just come up with big plays to swing the momentum in their favor and get the crowd back into it. And Baylor just wasn't able to keep up at the end. Now, it's it's weird to think that Drew is 0-3 against Tang. I know a lot of people put stuff on that, but yeah. he's going to get his. It's going to be fine. So I know there's a lot of Baylor people out there that are panicking with that, but yeah. I would just just don't. Don't yeah. even look into that. No. All right, so here's our first college football topic of the day. We're going to do – we're start doing like – we'll throw random topics in. At the end, we're going to talk about the NFL and some mm-hmm. coaching changes and things are going on in the playoffs. But uh, first college football topic today, Garrett. Okay. Other than Kirby Smart who's already been doing it. Yeah. But other than him, which coach, especially like which one is best positioned to take advantage of the Saban vacuum when it comes to talent acquisition? Sark. Yeah. Sark. I I think that, I think Sark is already doing it. Um, I think that he is. So like, I was thinking about this. So a couple of weeks ago when Simi was on with you and, Y'all were talking about Texas and where they're at. And I made the comment that I thought Texas missed a window. And, but after Saban. But then, like, they, I, then, it, then it hit me. I'm like, you know what? Sark's actually the perfect coach. Him, Kirby, Dan Lanning. I think those three, Dan Lanning and Sark, are the ones that can kind of most uh, pick up and, and benefit from this. I would throw Lane Kiffin in there as well. Uh, but those uh, four I'm, coaches, I'm gonna man. Put in, I'm going to put in Mike Norvell since he's already got five of them. That but. would work as well. <laughs> yeah. I, and maybe that's me. Like that, that's I always kind of forget about Norvell, and I don't know why. Um, but but yeah, you're right. He's, so he's like those guys. It. Like here's the deal, and and like part of this is is that this was the first time that Alabama looked vulnerable during the mm-hmm. season. Like not like. Not like, oh, they lost a couple of close games. They look like or a whatever. regular team. But they looked like there were times where it's like they're good, but they're not great. Like that was not like they, like even two years ago, Bryce Young's last year, they were not as spectacular because they didn't have some of the like they, 
the thing that was hurting them was they didn't have the the wide receivers mm-hmm. that they'd had before. Yeah, um, and and so you could tell that because they th- that finally the attrition at that position had caught up to them a little bit. But they were good enough everywhere else where you know what they lost to LSU in the last possession and they lost to. Uh, Georgia, Tennessee on the on the oh, yeah, field. So they, lost, yeah, they yeah. lost to two really good teams on the last possession of the game. So, and this year, look, they lost to Texas. They didn't lose to anybody else. But every other game was like kind of dicey, and that was the the effects of the depth not being there mm-hmm. that they had before. Where you know, um, to beat Alabama, you had to like. You know, and it was the same, but like they just had these things that were going on. You could see that maybe it was starting to turn to where they were not so invincible. And I don't think Nick Saban, I mean, he said this was a difficult season and all that, and maybe that was why. But when you look around, like eventually, you know, people hire coaches to beat you and it starts to work. Yep. So I'll use the example of Mac Brown. Mac Brown got Texas so good, you know, and so it was essentially. You know, Bob Soups and Mac Brown mm-hmm. running the Big 12. And Nebraska had dipped enough. They weren't in their totally tragic phase yet, but they had dipped enough before, you know, the like break the of the Big area 12. Area. Yeah. Era. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe the early Bo Pelini era. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. so like that. There was like, Bo Pelini had them a little bit back up on the, on the upswing a little, you know, not to where they were, but like it looked like maybe they were going to figure right. themselves out. And, this again before the breakup of the the first breakup of the Big Twelve before mm. you know Nebraska and Colorado before all that, but you started to notice when Texas started to maybe fall back a little bit is because you know A and M and Baylor and Tech and all these like they had hired coaches with a specific mission and not even really of, of Oklahoma, which mm. is why I think part of the reason Oklahoma was able to dominate the conference. Texas was always such a magnet for people's like. Well, we got to we got to we got to figure them out, right? And then, like they did, everybody did. They had coaches to beat them, and then Oklahoma was just like, "Oh, um, you know this genius coach we found, Lincoln Riley, was at East Carolina. What do you know about that? Yeah, he's from your state. It's weird. We're gonna take him, and he's gonna he's gonna do this now. So, like the, Oklahoma never had that dip. Yeah, you know, until Lincoln Riley left, and even then, it, like their dip wasn't as bad as most would have been. So, no. um, so. They hire coaches to beat you. So finally, somebody hired a coach that could regularly win the SEC that's not Alabama, and that's yep. Georgia. And then you look around the rest of the country like, okay, we're going to start hiring people who learned on you or people who learned under Kirby. So you've got Dan Lanning, or then you've got, okay, Mike Norvell has no connection to any of them, but he's one of the best up-and-comers. Sark, you know, a Saban guy. Mm-hmm. You know, Kiffin, a Saban guy. So because of that, and you've got all these people that – he taught how to recruit. Well, he's also losing recruits to those guys, and the depth is hurt, so you have that. So, yeah, there was there was always this kind of waiting. I just nobody knew when it was going to be. But I do think that, like, the guys we've mentioned, another one I'll throw out, um, I think Dabo will, will get a little bit off of it because he is, especially high school players, uh, he's not going to feast on this roster like everybody else is. No, but – I. I mean, he, at this point, he's going to have to, right? Like, yeah. there's there's no excuses. There's there's no Alabama in your way if you're Dabo. Really, at this point, it's can you get out of your own way and finally compete? Yeah, yeah I, I think that this is probably a, an awakening for him to where he's going to have to do that. Now, if he wants to take that next step and, and finally get Clemson back to competing for championships again, then he's going to have to start going and grabbing some of those people like yeah. that are off of Alabama's yeah. roster and – I just I don't know if he's there yet, and that's what kind of well, makes me apprehensive with him. All right, here's another coach on the Saban tree who has a long-term contract, 
Um, we heard from Manny Navarro yesterday that he doesn't like he's got plenty of of, of leeway to mm-hmm. to rebuild the program. Mario Cristobal is on the Saban tree. He was the offensive line coach for for Nick Saban for a little while, so he's another guy on the Saban tree. Being where he is and and having kind of carte blanche right now, mm-hmm. would he? he might be able to take advantage of it because if he can just get things going his way, if Cam Ward can win some games for them, if they can go nine and three this year, mm-hmm. like even if that nine and three means losing to the three best teams on the, it's on the schedule, it's progress. It's progress for Cam Ward too. Cause he's not ever gone nine yeah. and three, you know? So like all of that. So if they can go nine and three, then, you know, that is, that is something where, Oh my gosh. Okay. Then you get the next quarterback and then, you know, you can start building around it. I do think that Miami's in a good spot. Billy Napier, it, Florida, another Saban disciple, but he's there in yeah, a they're, they're in a they're really a weird way. Um, uh, what about Brian Kelly? Uh, Brian Kelly needs to be. Uh, yeah. I, I think that right now, if you look at when his first year was there, he was able to beat Bama. Um, obviously, that wasn't the case this year, but you did have a Heisman-winning quarterback. Your defense was just ass. Um, I, I think you're doing a good job right now if, if from Brian Kelly – of hiring the right people on defense to kind of sure that up. Um, you have the top quarterback, running back, and receiver in the 2025 class, so recruiting's rolling. Yeah, I think he can, man. Like, LSU's always going to have the talent. It's just you got to be consistent with it, and you've got to find a way now with Texas coming in to really compete with the oil money, and I, I don't <sighs> – that, that's the thing that makes me nervous is you're going to be able to win. I think LSU can consistently get the 12-team playoff, but as far as winning championships, they're going to have to find the money because with Texas coming in and Oregon's deep – I mean, the deep pockets, yeah, at Oregon and Georgia, it's going to be very difficult, but they are a team to keep an eye, an eye on. I just am a little nervous about them fully being able to take advantage of it right now. All right. So I want to run through real quick just so people can get the scope of how like seismic this is roster-wise. Just in one season – like, and we're talking long-term here, mm-hmm. where this is this is all of Saban's players are going to be picked through in the next couple of years, yeah. right? Like, that's that's be gonna, done. That's yeah. going to be done, you know. Um, but as far as the ability, and like we talked about yesterday, where Nick Saban could just roll into a place, and, you know, if Alabama got into somebody late, everybody who's recruiting was recruiting him was like, yeah. crap. You know, I really hope this kid just really loves – Gainesville or really loves this place because mm-hmm. it's like Texas getting in on a Baylor or TCU recruit at the yeah, end. It yeah, it was like it was just how it is. Like they they oh okay um all right well that quarterback he went to he went to USC all right okay well the other guy went to Oregon okay he's pretty well signed there all right well um who's A and M's guy yeah, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> like we liked him too we'll let's take give, him let's give him let's give him a call you know and so then that that's kind of how it works I mean I think Jalen Milrow. Uh, Jalen Milrow, Jalen Hurts, and Eli Holstein were all, I think, committed or down the road to A&M. At some, Eli Holstein, mm-hmm. I know, was, and so was Milrow. I think Jalen Hurts was like, everybody thought that's where he was going to go. And then Alabama was like, no. You're coming here. You, you know you know where's a great place? Tuscaloosa, Alabama. What's A&M ever done? Yeah, you know yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> you just sell it. Of course, the there's no per- better personality match than Jalen Hurts and Nick Saban. They were peas in a pod. Yeah. Um, and... So, uh, but just to like, here's how the, the roster just had. Look, Washington has had an offensive lineman, a defensive back, another offensive lineman enter the portal just this morning. 
Okay. So, like, those guys are, you know, they've already had a lot, and they were losing a lot. Jabbar Muhammad is visiting oh, good. Alabama on Friday. He's visiting Texas today. He's going to Texas. I think he's going to Texas. Well, he's from Texas. He's from DeSoto. And, like, his cousin. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's going to go there. Yeah. So, uh, he was at Tech before, Jabbar yeah. Muhammad. And now he, like, so that's going to be a nice little pickup for Texas. Alabama, uh, in the last 24 hours, uh, offensive lineman Caden Proctor, uh, a tackle. Uh, he has, and he's one of the he's one of the top dudes in the 2023 class. Number nine overall recruit. He's in the transfer portal, mm-hmm. so he'll be able to go wherever he wants to go. Um, SEC freshman of the year, and this one's huge. Caleb Downs. He's in the transfer portal now. Most people think he's 